0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June eleventh, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. How stressed is the fair use doctrine meant to protect people from their non-commercial copies of copyrighted works? Is it really adequate in an age of peer-to-peer file sharing? Picking up on a debate taking place at Cato Unbound, Cato Institute adjunct scholar Tim Lee weighs in. For decades, people have listened to the radio. They've taped shows off of the radio. In fact, some DJs in New York at the original uh, rap stations, the radio stations, they would design their shows in such a way that they could be recorded specifically to tape, to a sixty-minute audio cassette, and uh, they produced their shows in such a way that they could get more music out there to people. Mm. Uh, you know, presumed there are some benefits associated with that for artists that are are not yet. Hugely famous. That's a that's a benefit to get your music out there to people. So so in that sense, file sharing, particularly music, it's been going on for some time.
1: That's that's definitely true. And and this has been sort of a gray area in copyright law. I mean, theoretically, um, copyright law kicks in any time a copy has been was made. But there are some some doctrines, notably the doctrine called fair use. This says that there are some some exceptions for uh, private, non commercial activities like. Um, taping off the radio or um with with uh vcrs if you tape a show and watch it for later generally that's either been legal or even in cases where the courts would say it's technically not legal um there wasn't any practical enforcement mechanism i mean my my library of of recorded tv shows might technically be illegal but the fbi isn't going to raid me and and uh you know go after me for for building up that library not
0: unless you go out on eBay and try to sell your complete Golden Girls collection to somebody that's, who that's wants right. Them. So
1: there's always been sort of a, a de facto, at least, uh, distinction between personal, private copying and um, commercial copying. And if it right, that's right. If you if you start to um, to copy in a commercial way, trying to make a profit off of it, then they have always come down on you very hard. Um, now, what's happened is that the with the rise of peer-to-peer file sharing applications, um, this line has gotten very blurry. It used to be that the the private non-commercial copying was a, not a significant threat to established industries because you know the copy wasn't as good as the original, it wasn't convenient, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now that we have applications like BitTorrent, um, the, uh, it, it's very quick and easy to get uh, to get copyrighted music, um, without having to pay for it, and so the the sort of old uh sort of old turning a blind eye to private copying um has hasn't held up, and so in 2003 the recording industry for the first time started suing significant numbers of purely private non-commercial people that simply were running an application like BitTorrent, um, not making a profit off of it, but simply sharing with with people on the internet. And uh, for the for the first time that that has been um, the copyright law has, has targeted individuals rather than just you know, for profit enterprises.
0: Now, does this as like Lawrence Lessig and others point out, does this point to the inadequacy of fair use as a, as a, as a doctrine for dealing with uh, copyrighted material?
1: Well, fair use has definitely been under stress. I mean, fair use has sort of provided the wiggle room. In the 20th century, it provided the wiggle room in copyright law between the sort of um, copyright as a a prohibition on commercial use versus copyright as a a prohibition on copying. Um, And and in the 20th century, that was a fairly small gray area, and so fair use sort of papered over that tension. In the 21st century, the distinction between commercial and non-commercial has gotten much fuzzier. And so, yes, I think that the the role of fair use. Fair use has become more important, but it's also become, I think, more fragile. That that um, it's it's not as clear what's fair use, and it's not as robust a defense as it used to be.
0: Okay, uh, because Lawrence Lessig, for example, points out, what about all the unfair uses, right, uh, of, of material? That is, uh, can somebody's copyright uh, limit my ability to criticize that person or the work that they've uh, they've created? by using small portions of it.
1: That's that's right. And one of my favorite Larry Lessig quotes is that fair use is the right to hire a lawyer. I mean, fair use is not, it's not an affirmative right. It's simply a defense you can raise after you've been sued, and most people don't want to be sued in the first place. And so even if something is technically legal, if it's a gray area in the law, that becomes problematic.
0: You know, if the 21st century is going to offer us this new challenge with regard to copyright, you know, law is in many ways derived from... The custom of the day and custom here is sort of outstripping the law's ability to deal with it.
1: That's that's right. The the lead essay in, in this and Unbound talks about the the reasons that, that the war on file sharing is not likely to be successful, that whether we like it or not, individuals are going to be able to, to share music and movies and other content with, with their friends and neighbors and with strangers on the internet. And so the question then is, how does copyright law deal with that, given that, that some of this is going to happen, whether we like it or not, what new uh, you know legal and, and economic structures are we going to need uh, to deal with that? And, and I think people underestimate the extent to which it's possible to um, turn a profit without restricting copying. I mean, for example, you know, the television has always worked on this model. We, you know, Hollywood has always given away television shows and, and made for TV movies and paid for it with advertising. And I think the people who predict that the the growth of file sharing will completely destroy the recording industry or the movie industry, tend to underestimate the extent to which they can find ways to give away their content and sell, um, whether it's advertising or um, you know, movie tickets or other, other tangible you know, goods that are complementary to the, the content that, that's available for free.
0: Well, there is a sort of a difference there. You know, uh, content creators have, I suppose, always had to compete to some extent with stuff that's free, that Mm -hmm. is, uh, their content being older and of of a lower quality. But now, again, you're dealing with a situation where uh, the producer of a TV show might actually be competing with someone who is providing that TV show not only free of charge, but commercial-free, in high def, downloaded 10 minutes after the show finished airing. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Sure and and it'll definitely be a challenge but but the thing to remember is that um it, it will still be easy to control commercial exploitation of copyrighted works. I mean, so be, because, you know, it, it requires some capital investment to get into a commercial service. For example, if we're talking about high definition video, um if you want to make the service fast and responsive and have a wide selection and so forth, a guy in his basement is not likely to be able to do that. The the real threat to um, to an advertising-based business model is not somebody in his basement, it's another commercial company that's using somebody's content without paying for it. And I don't think there'll be any difficulty for copyright to continue to, to uh, go after those people. Um, and so, yes, you will you will be able to, if you really want to, go out in Bitporn and get a commercial-free version of, um, of a movie, but the, it'll be sufficiently low-quality, inconvenient, um, that, that most people will find it perfectly easy to just go to the official site where they don't have to pay, but they maybe have to watch a few commercials. It, enough people will do that, that that Hollywood will still be able to make a profit.
0: The response of Hollywood and the recording industry has been pretty far out of proportion with, I think, the size of the
1: infraction. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I think that's definitely true. The, probably the, the famous case here is, is a, f- a few months ago we had the first conviction in a non-commercial File sharing case, and there was a woman in Duluth, Minnesota, who shared, um, I believe, twenty four CDs worth of music on the uh, online, and uh, was uh, got a fine of of I think two hundred thousand dollars. Which you know, if you had shoplifted twenty four CDs from a you know Seven Eleven, there's no way you would have been on the hook for two hundred thousand dollars. So I think that the um, you know the 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 penalties are disproportionate, and this is uh, this is the inevitable consequence when you have uh, a crime like this where there's, there's no direct victim, um, you know, like, like prohibition, you, you, you have to ratchet up the penalties because it's, it's very hard to catch people. And so the few people you do catch, you have to punish disproportionately. And I think ultimately that's not a sustainable way of doing things.
0: Tim Lee is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute, currently participating in an online debate at catounbound.org.